Miles More Madness is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. With Game Time, you can buy your tickets in just two taps. It's about the same amount of time it takes for my kids to tune me out when I ask them to do chores. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Welcome back to another edition of Miles More Madness. I'm your host, CJ Moore, joined as always by my co-host, former Nebraska coach, Tim Miles. Tim, how's it going? You ready for this second episode? Uh, yeah, we have a great episode. Ken Pomeroy and I, we're gonna, uh, and you, we're going to delve into all these crazy analytic numbers that don't make any sense and try and make some sense of them. Should be a great show, and I think you and I are going to not so much gloat about our top fives or our sleeper teams because I think it was uh, an even battle. I obviously won that draft. But. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> if you look at the upstarts, I think I did fine. But anyhow, whatever, uh, CJ. Uh, but, you know, I, we're going to have a great time. We're going to pick some games too. I'd now like to introduce to the pod, friend of the uh, program, I think both friend to me and Tim, Mr. Ken Pomeroy, the uh, foremost authority on advanced stats in college basketball and my colleague at The Athletic as well. Ken, welcome to the show. Hey, CJ. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, always uh, great to chat with you too. Yeah, Ken, thank you for coming on. For a guy from the University of Wyoming, as an old CSU uh, fighting Ram, you know, I was a little bit worried, but we're happy to have you on. Yeah, I remember uh, when we first corresponded and you were at Colorado State and I didn't think we'd ever get along, but look how far we've come. Miracles do happen. <laughs> Ken, one thing I'd like to do as a basketball coach is, you know, I, a lot of people, I think when they hear advanced metrics and, and uh, all of this stuff, get, you know, and they see all the decimal points and the, and the numbers, you know, they, they get a little bit uh, lost in all that. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah, most coaches do get a little bit queasy when they see uh, all of the numbers on my site. And uh, um, it takes a little bit of work to kind of uh, calm them down and just explain, you know, how they can how they can use the information. I really, I think how simple a lot of the, the numbers are. And they are simple because uh, I can figure some of them out. And so so fans and, and folks know. So what Dean Oliver and Ken Pomeroy has gone on to accentuate. Are, there are four factors that truly matter in basketball and they correlate on offense and defense and they are effective field goal percentage. They are your turnover percent. So if you have the ball 50 times and turn it over 10 times, those fifties, you turn the ball over 20% of the time. Uh, if uh, also rebounding percentage, offensive rebounding percentage. So how, how what percent you get of your missed shots and then the free throw rate, which is how many times you get fouled and, and, and not just how many times you go to the foul line, but really how many times you get fouled compared to how many shots you get up, tell you about good offense and vice versa, you know, not fouling and good defense. Uh, and then turnovers are factored in there, for instance. So it's foul, it's free throws per field goal attempt. 
And why that matters is because if you turn the ball over a lot, uh, you know, uh, that works against your efficiency. And then overall, Ken Pomeroy give you a ranking and it'll, it'll usually say 0.91. It might say 1.113. And the way I look at those and the way a lot of people look at those is that if it was a hundred possessions and you were 0.91, you'd score 91 points. Uh, the way coaches have done advanced analytics forever is simply a pencil and a sheet of paper uh, that says um, that has numbers like one through 45 on the left side would be my team. And on the right side would be the opponents. And we called it points per possession. And we simply wrote in there uh, and told our, our goal was we want to score more than one point of possession. And we want to hold the defense to less than one point of possession. And forever from the early nineties that I can remember that's the way we did advanced a analytics. And Ken kind of brought this whole new, uh, more of a thinking man's guide into it. And I think what he really showed is, and it's still outdated, like the normal box score that you would see in the newspaper if they ever printed them anymore, or is really still outdated. And we, we still see a field goal percentage, like this team shoots 45% from the field. We still put that on television. We still put that, and it's completely inaccurate because it doesn't add up to the way you officially play offense or play defense. Is that a pretty good, Ken, what would you add to that in terms of the four factors? Uh, no, that was a great summary, Tim. Um, I, uh, I you know, folks, folks, that's just how easy it is. Like, I'm <laughs> a major and this guy's like this freaking meteorologist event. Hell anybody can do it. So, Go ahead, Ken, if you have something else to add, please. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, the four factors are basically a way to just kind of organize, um, you know, the con contributions to offense. So, you know, what we ultimately what you, you care about is how many let's just talk about offense, how many points you score per possession, as you mentioned. Um, but then under that, you know, what are the, the causes of scoring those points? And the four things you just mentioned are, you know, explain everything that goes on with an offense. So uh, if you want to start to analyze your team or an opponent and what their strengths or weaknesses are, you know, you start with those four factors. Are they good at shooting? Are they good at turnovers? Are they good at rebounding? Are they good at uh, getting fouled? Um, it's just yeah, a way so to. Part, yeah. It's just a way to organize it and see it. And for instance, one of the things that Ken and I used to go back and forth was, is for three years in a row, my teams in the mountain West at Colorado state led the mountain West in free throw rate. And one of the things we went back and forth was, that we also were a fouling team. And I said, well, it's the refs, man. They're, they're going to equal it out, you know, Ken. And whether that's true or not, but what George Carl informed me, and, and I think this is true, is it's hard to relate solely on free throw rate the later you get in a year. And in fact, in uh, 2000, I think 10 or 11, we had a fade because we quit getting fouled. Uh, that the old rationale that they just don't call as many fouls in the NCAA tournament or the Mount West tournament or late in the year. Ken, would you agree with that or see that, that relying on one of those factors outside of effective field goal percentage is a little risky? Sure. I mean, the vast majority of teams that are successful are obviously going to be good shooting teams. You know, that's not a revelation for anybody. So, uh, you know, if you're trying to just simply win games with great offensive rebounding or by getting fouled, you know, if you're not shooting the ball well on top of that, like you're you know, you're probably going to have a lot of games where you struggle. So certainly just. Yeah. And just that leads into, 
No, you're exactly right. And but that leads me into where I think you've had the biggest impact. And I think your first foray that I recall into it was with Phil Beckner, Randy Ray at Weber State, because they're right down the road from you out there in Utah. Is you I think you solely convinced them that not allowing as many three-point attempts in a game was the single critical most thing to playing defense. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I mean, that gets, uh, I know we've had discussions on this too, and that gets a little misinterpreted sometimes, but the bottom line is like, you, you can't, uh, you really don't have a lot of control over an opponent's three point percentage. You, you do have a lot of control over whether they shoot it. So if you have, uh, a, an advantage in, let's say, you know, just generally like talent, you know, quickness, whatever it is, length, size, like if you have that advantage in your league, like you probably should be using that to take away three-point attempts. And so that was that was the nature of my advice to the folks at Weber State. Well, yeah, because what you're saying is if you just look at across the board, most teams are going to shoot 34, 30, this is back then, 34, 35% from the three. True? Yes, true. So you can't control that, but you can control how many they shoot. So the idea was, you know, if you just look over the course of 35 nights, yes, some, you're going to have three teams in a row that shoot 31, 28, 20. But then you're going to have some teams that shoot 38 and 40 on you, whether you like it or not. So the idea is that you have to have this mentality not to let them get them those three-point shots off. And and I think that's a single most critical thing on defense is, you know, because the the three, if we imagine this, if, um, you know, if if – when you see the, the words efficient field goal percentage or effective field goal percentage, that's a marriage of twos and threes. And the three is weighted greater than the two because a 19-footer is worth two points, but whatever it is now, a 22-footer is worth three. And uh, and that's a big deal. Uh, so Ken, you know, with his effective field goal percentage, would you agree that if you just – if you went to Ken's site and subscribe and you clicked on the leaders – and 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 you clicked on EFG on offense, and you looked at the best teams. The best teams, almost equivalent, uh, 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 the top 17 teams are probably in the top 15 teams of the country. And on the same thing on defense. Is that true, you think? Is that a good uh, uh, idea of, of really how important defending the three and making the three is? Yeah, to some extent, I think uh, maybe you're overstating the connection to efficiency a little bit. Like there are definitely teams who, you know, maybe don't shoot the ball well, but still end up with good offenses because they do the other three factors uh, really well. What would on those four factors that we've talked about? And of course, you see, I, I believe effective field goal percentage defense is something that you can, you know, no matter if you have more talent or less talent, that is something you can control. And you certainly have to do it by chasing guys off the three-point line. But that makes you vulnerable to fouls because you're in rotation. That makes you vulnerable to offensive rebounds because you're scrambling around. So as a coach, you you know, you have to give up, you know, some idea of defensive rebounding or whatever. Um, are there two factors in your mind that are the smoking gun that if paired together um, uh, would be great? For instance, uh, Radius Athletics claims it's, I believe defensive field goal percentage and uh, turnover rate on offense, that those two pairs just add up through the book, which would probably fit uh, your Wisconsin type of uh, bias uh, because can Wisconsin can return 
five guys we've never heard of him. He's got him number three in the country in uh, in the Pomeroy rankings. Why why his computer is so in love with Madison, Wisconsin is beyond me, but um, uh, that's just the way it goes. But do you see any two factors that really add up? Uh, not really. I mean, that, you know, that was the one thing that always struck me. Like when I started doing this was that there are multiple ways to be successful. And, you know, obviously you have to be good at something like you can't be bad at everything and be successful. But the notion that, you know, if you're good at in these two categories, like you're going to be, you know, some sort of like superpower. Uh, I have never found, um, you know, most things start with being good at, at, you know, what we've talked about shooting, shooting offensive, shooting defense, but there are teams that aren't good at that, that are good at rebounding and not committing turnovers and their offense looks really ugly, but you look in the end and they just get a lot more shots than everybody else. And so even though their field goal percentage isn't good, their offense looks pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of, it's kind of a disappointing answer, but there isn't a secret blueprint to, you know, being successful. It's like, you know, you, you got to figure out a way to, to get the ball in the basket somehow. And it seems like we can go and look at, you know, 20 different successful coaches and we'll find, you know, 10 different ways that they've done it. Yeah. Ken, you've been giving me disappointing answers for 10 years, so that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, honestly, uh, uh, as you look at this, uh, I, I agree with, with Ken. And, and if fans, while they're listening to this, could go to their computer and just get on his site and start clicking around on the headings, you'll see what we're talking about. And it, it really is simple. Uh, you know, the percentage, you know, uh, there, there's different uh, ways you can look at how your team's uh, doing. And even on each team side, he's got them in green, light green, uh, pink, and then it goes to real red. And, and it's, it's fascinating. And, and you'll see that, you know, maybe it'll make sense why your team's not a good rebounding team or why your team, you know, uh, plays so fast or plays so slow. And Ken's a little bit of a, you know, a, a tempo junkie uh, that uh, he likes guys that, that, that really go, but you can win slow or you can win fast and it really doesn't matter. Uh, and, uh, and CJ, I just hope that what this does is allow fans to just kind of see these advanced analytics in a more simple form and inform them because, you know, uh, Ken, I think has got a lot of weight in college basketball. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, and I think what's uh, probably refreshing to Ken, even though, you know, Tim doesn't always agree with them is the fact that, that Tim has actually really studied this stuff. I've, I've seen, um, you know, up, up close, what what you're looking at in the scouting report, and some of Ken's numbers are on there. Uh, but it brings me to a question for Ken. You know, what what do you get at? Some coaches aren't aren't necessarily as familiar with all this stuff as as Tim obviously is. What do you think you get asked the most um, from coaches when when they they come to you with um, you know either an email or, or or they see you at some kind of convention? What are you getting asked the most about? Yeah, I mean, there's maybe two two levels of that. Like, one is the coach that just isn't at all familiar with my site, and they want to know just basically like how to start using it. Uh, you know, it's one set of questions. I think once uh, you know we get into the season, and uh, you know, I talk to coaches that are familiar with my work. Usually, it's some variation, of, kind of like what Tim was just talking about. You know, some variation of like how can we get better? You know, hey, look at our numbers and tell me, you know, how you think we can improve. And uh, those questions are are really challenging because you know. Uh, as we all know, like yeah. you're, you're going to be, if you're going to be a good team, you need, you need good players first. So if you don't have the players, like I can't like whip up some recipe for you to somehow uh, be a good team. But um, 
but I, you know, that's basically it. Like, Hey, how, how do we get better? What can we do to improve? Look at our stats. Like where, you know, where are we good? Where are we weak? What, you know, how can we get better at these things? And uh, those are always like really difficult questions to answer. You know, what, what's hard for you is that what you realize is, okay, if you see, if you don't see any trend in a, in a team, you know, what do you stand for defensively, for instance? And there was a time, for instance, uh, toward the end of the CSU that, and in the beginning of, of Nebraska, where, uh, you know, when I came into Division One, we were taking away threes at North Dakota State. Then we got away from that. And then we went back to it. And uh, for several reasons, we had a couple of teams that weren't very long uh, and we didn't really have very much rim protection. So I didn't feel like if we were out there chasing around, I thought all we do is give up high percentage shots and foul. But you you have to stand for something. What Ken's saying is that, you know, coaches, hey, what do I do? There's give and take. So I think there might be some hesitation to say, well, you need to take away threes, but you also know that team's then going to give up, you know, this, that, and the other thing, and that can be bad advice. So it's hard for Ken to really, I think, diagnose everything, but he does an excellent job. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you you have to connect the dots a little bit too. Like, uh, you know, we talk about the four factors, but like almost no team is good at all of the four factors. You know, on offense, you make strategic decisions. Maybe you're not you're not going for offensive rebounds, or maybe defensively, you know, you're not trying to force turnovers. And so, if you rate poorly in those things, like it's kind of irresponsible of me to be like, oh, you know, you should be really going for offensive rebounds. Like, if you're not doing that, if you're trying to get back in transition or whatever, then that's your style, and you're not. That's not an area for improvement. So there is like a a level of uh, you know knowledge that's necessary to kind of interpret these numbers and make uh, recommendations that that make sense. When people see the Ken Pomeroy rankings now, and we start talking about the national rankings, but more importantly, we start talking about NCA selection. You're going to see a lot of different, um, uh, what acronyms, so to speak. And there's ESPN has their BPI and Ken Pomeroy has his Pomeroy rankings. And there's all kinds of different, has, has let, has let, you know who he is, uh, the Haslam guy with his metrics. Uh, um, you know, there's all kinds of people out there. Uh, and everybody's got a little bit of different way of doing it. Uh, and, and so what, what really you have and what people need to understand is the old RPI was a performance-based metric, um, and that's it. It was, um, um, it was you won the game, you know, on the road, uh, and it doesn't matter by how much or how little. And, and so a, a team could kind of scratch by, and, and there were some real weaknesses in the RPI. And, and so that's what you call a results-based. And that's a Kevin Pagwa's site, which is more about NCA resumes. That's the RPI. And that would be like strength of record would be another results-based uh, metric. And then you have performance-based metrics like Ken Pomeroy and Jeff Sagarin and the BPI. And that is really um, what I think Ken did is in the old days, I don't think Las Vegas came up with a line on a game for betting odds with just some guy in reading glasses and a pencil. I think they probably had this and somehow Ken broke into the Las Vegas Hilton Casino and got the, the program and, and started modifying his own performance. Because we can agree, Las Vegas has probably been doing performance-based rankings of some form somehow for, what, dozens and dozens of years, Ken? Yeah, I don't know exactly what their what their system was, but you know, if you want the truth, like a lot of the motivation in kind of doing predictions on my site in the early days was because, like, I you know the Vegas lines are really good, but you only get them 
one day in advance, right? And so if I want to know what the expectation is for a game two weeks from now, like I was kind of out of luck. So that was kind of part of the reason for uh, for starting the predictions on my site. So there are performance-based and results-based. Do you agree, Ken, we need both? Certainly, they both play a role. You know, when you're selecting for the NCAA tournament, you really, I think, want to lean on results-based. You know, what the, the way that they're kind of complementary. Like, the, the performance base really tells you, hey, if you beat uh, Duke, you know, Duke's the third-best team in the country based on how they played. But Duke might only have the 12th-best resume. So when we're seeding teams, like, we need to seed them according to their resume. But when we're evaluating how good a win is, we should evaluate it against the performance-based ratings, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, one of my pet peeves with performance-based ranks, which your site is and your computer is, remember, I never take it against you personally. It's always about your computer. Right? I appreciate that. So, yeah. And so is that head-to-head -head competition, we just saw it in the football um, ratings, head-to-head -head competition is one factor. What in the hell is the one factor? Christ, it will only play once and I beat your butt. That should be three factors. That should like that should be weighted. But the performance guys like ah, you know, that's just the way it goes. That night, that doesn't mean that team's better. Blah blah blah. I, I I've never quite understood the um, just shrug our shoulders. Yeah, that team. I mean, is that because the the margin of difference between two teams is really so slim it can go either way every night, or is that just an excuse that I'm want my you know my computer's going to be wrong a lot. You know, it's only your computer is only right about what, 62, 67 percent of the time anyway. I think it's higher than that. But um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like when it comes down to it, just as a general philosophy, like I'm, I'm trying to predict the outcomes of games. So I'm do I'm really trying to do like I'm trying to create a method that will best predict all the games every night. And when we look at head to head results, uh, you know, over the course of the season, we don't care. <laughs> it's not so much that we don't care, but there are, you know, there are cases every, you know, every night where there are upsets and uh, there is that variability from game to game. And so when Evansville beats Kentucky, like, you know, that actually counts in the system like more than a normal game in my ratings, but not that much more because we know that Kentucky played Evansville the next night. Like you'd be kind of silly to bet your mortgage on Evansville winning that game. Like it was, it was an outlier game. It's something that, you know, should be taken into consideration, but I do have to, I do have to push back on the notion that I'm not a, not a fan here, but uh, there's a, you know, I can separate uh, being the fan and going crazy when, uh, you know, Stephen F. Austin beats Duke and having the same excitement everybody else has. And also like my sort of professional side and trying to accurately rank teams from one to three fifty three. So uh, um, anyway, I'll just, I just have to push back on that a little bit, Tim. I got you. I got you. Okay. My last thing here is, is, is the bias that people put into uh, sites like yours. And when I say that, uh, you know, you start the year with rankings without anybody having played a game. And certainly there's a method you have to do that from. Do you think there, you know, and I recall that your words, and now I, I, I didn't search for it, but at one time, I am almost completely certain that it was early January to the second week of January before you felt like your site was completely current with the current year's activities. Then you sent a tweet last week, and I even said that um, on our podcast last week. And I, you just sent, a, 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 to me, it was an interesting tweet this week that how current uh, by December 3rd and the end of the year, um, and there were some other guys who did the same thing. So maybe we had some listeners last month or last week, CJ, I'm not sure. But I was curious to see now you moved that up five weeks in my book. 
when do you feel like your site is current? And, and again, when we looked at stats in the old days, uh, and I tell guys after seven, eight, nine games, we're not, this is who we are. You know, this is, it's going to be hard to change us. You know, if we're a crappy three point shooting team, maybe we get hot for a few games, but it's not like if we're at 27% now, we're going to end up at 37. We might end up at 31. We're only moving that needle a little bit. So when do you feel like you go current? And do you believe, like I believe, that a team like I had in 2018 at Nebraska that was a relatively newcomer? And I think, like, for instance, that year, uh, I think Wisconsin had a losing season, started in your top 10, and fell like 55. We started like at 113 and only moved 40 spots up despite winning 22 regular season games. And, and it just felt like to me that – you know, that there was a bias because those guys did have a previous performance and my guys were newer and, and the James Palmer's world hadn't done much at other schools, but he was a real dude. And I knew we were going to be okay. It just seems like there was a, a, a a inherent bias uh, against an upcomer like, like Nebraska was. Can you allude to that answer to that or just comment on why I'm right, wrong otherwise? So this is a question that doesn't have, uh, a really slick answer. Like the, you know, people will say like my pet peeve is, you know, people will say how oh, the ratings stink this time of year or whatever. And, and clearly they don't like the information I tweeted out the other day kind of like indicates it. Oh, the ratings have some meaning. Like they'll be better a month from now. They'll be better two months from now, but not that much better. Like they're just a little bit better. And um, so the preseason ratings are still in there now. They're every game that gets played, you know, across the country, just a tiny little sliver of the preseason ratings comes off. And that process continues and continues and continues until like early February. That is when the preseason ratings officially go to zero. But it's not like you're going to notice a difference between February 2nd and February 3rd. Like, because on February 2nd, the preseason ratings have like a, you know, 0.01 weight. And on February 3rd, they have zero. So they're just gradually diminishing and diminishing all season. But that doesn't mean that, you know, on February 3rd, there's somehow this glorious product that is way better than it is on December 3rd. Like, that's... That is is not true at all. Like this, the December third ratings are are pretty good. They have some weaknesses. They have some holes, but they're. I guess the point is, you wouldn't like. I can't be a hundred percent correct, right? That would be like witchcraft, and I would be seeing the future. And part of the fun of this is that we don't know where, uh, you know, Butler is going to finish at the end of the year. Like, are they? We didn't think they were maybe a great team to start the season, and they've started off really well. And are they going to finish well? They're not going to finish well. They're going to have injuries. Is there going to be some sort of internal team chemistry that goes bad? Like, I have no way to predict that, and nor would I want to. Like, that that you know, suspense is kind of why we watch. So, uh, let's just say, like, magically, I'm 67% correct. Like, I don't know what like the best system could be, but it can't be 100. It can be maybe like 72% or something. So, um, so there's that kind of issue that is involved as well. And that's my whole point is that that. What you do is 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 really um, tremendous work, uh, but but you know I want fans to know I want that nobody knows you know your team what you think you have in November is not always the same team you have in February, and 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 Ken can't plan for injuries and I can't as a coach plan for injuries so sometimes we build up these expectations of either the team's not good enough and they become better or the team's good and they don't have as good a year. Uh, my advice is to appreciate the struggle. And and I'm only using Ken really as an example here in terms of if I'm a fan looking at a coach or I'm a fan looking at your team, or if I'm just Joe Blow, 
um, betting games even, right, that nobody knows, right, and head-to-head from one night to the next. Now, we know Stephen F. Austin, if they played 10 times out of 10, might not win more than one, and um, unless Kyle Keller's got Mike Krzyzewski's number, right, or something, you know, which we know probably isn't going to happen. So I'm just using this as an example, really, Ken. I'm kind of holding your feet to the fire unfairly. Um, Only try to make a point is that this is this research and this analysis is terrific, and I and I can't imagine coaching without it. Uh, But it's not entirely accurate, and for anybody on a committee member to take it as gospel, and or any fan to take it, you just enjoy your team, you know, support the crap out of them, and love this whole grind that goes through the peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows of a season, because none of us do know. And that's why we do play the game. And that's why we should enjoy college basketball the way it is. And Ken, there's no doubt in my mind, you've made it better. And we greatly appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. And I think, you know, you uh, in the past have had a pretty, like you maybe at times <laughs> were frustrated by my system, but eventually you came around to like a pretty healthy attitude towards it. I, I, I recall one of your successful teams that where you were you know you mentioned that you kind of looked at at my predictions and you had like a bunch of like close losses coming up and you realize that you know hey we just improved by a little bit uh we can probably win a lot of games and uh and i think that's like a a much healthier approach to uh using my system than uh probably a lot of coaches have and and kim before we let you go let's let's get to at least one data question so the 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 biases that uh the tim it's like tim thinks you're getting in there and you're moving teams around yourself it, it is the numbers that are that are dictating where teams go right so so let's let's ask one data question before you go you know if if people are, are fans of your site and they're paying attention to this um you know they'll notice adjusted efficiency across college basketball uh is down you know last year was was 1043 this year it's 995 um that's by far the lowest in your database which you know for listeners that goes back to 2002 season um, obviously, three-point percentage is down with the new line, but so is two-point percentage and free throw rate are down as well. Two other factors, I think, influencing that number. I, I wonder if it has anything to do with the evolution of defensive schemes. Um, do you think it's too early, too small a sample size? Do you believe this will continue? And, and kind of what do you think is going on there to, to cause all this? Yeah, so um, it's not too early. I mean, that's the one thing about uh, sort of these national averages is that really very early in the season you have – great knowledge over what's going to happen the rest of the year. Like you have so many games played at the beginning that um, you can start to make judgments and I don't know what's causing it. So obviously the three point line got moved back. So you'd expect three point percentage to go down and it has, we should point out that it will go up the rest of the year. Like it always goes up as the year goes on as shooters just get better and more acclimated to playing, you know, real games and things like that. They'll get better. Um, So three point percentage, you know, it'll finish the year slightly down from last year. Three point attempts will be, pretty similar to last year. In fact, this will be the second highest year on record for three-point attempts, you know, exceeded only by last year. So it's really not – the three-point shot hasn't been affected too much. It's really the two-point percentage going down. And as you mentioned, the free throws have gone down a lot, which uh, I don't I don't have a good answer for that. You know, normally in the beginning of the year, free throws are high and they go down. And so we're already at a level that's lower than any previous year we've ever seen, and we expect it to, you know, decrease as the year goes on. So I – this it's been a, it's been really puzzling to me. Like I don't have a coherent answer for this. Um, it is something that we saw at the end of last year where, you know, we saw fouls drop. We saw tempo drop at the end of last year. Offense really didn't rise as much as it usually would towards the end of the season. And that was a little bit concerning and that's kind of carried over to this season. So some of it is a three point line, but 
feels like something else is going on. When you watch games, I don't necessarily notice that they're necessarily more physical than they have been in the past or that, mm-hmm. you know, fewer fouls being called as effect has helped the defense that much. But some of these trends are so subtle that I feel like maybe my eye is not uh, trained well enough to uh, to notice these trends. Um, I'm curious to see how things play out, but I, I really struggle with like trying to figure out. I don't know if you guys have any theories, but I, I struggle with trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, I'm sorry. I too was surprised uh, by a lot of those numbers being down. There are outliers, you know, uh, 2014 foul rate was at 40%, you know, 40, which is really high. An average foul uh, rate is, you know, what, mid thirties at best. Uh, and, and so it, it's, you kind of got to let them play out, but I was surprised that everything's so down this year. They're not calling. So what that means is refs aren't calling fouls. People aren't making shots. And you'd think just the opposite. When people aren't making shots, the game's uglier, more rebounds, more physical, that there's more fouls. Um, but turnovers aren't up, you know, so it's not that. And uh, so it's just kind of a curious year. Agree, Ken? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we should point out like the foul thing is is pretty hard to diagnose because it's not necessarily, you know, is it that there are, we still have the same number of fouls and the refs just aren't calling them or that we do actually have like less contact. Um, that is, is really hard to judge, but I would, you know, it's probably a combination of both, but as you say, like you think, uh, you know, if there, if there are fewer fouls called or there are fewer fouls happening, like there's just less contact, there's more space. Normally that, you know, if the trend has been in recent years that that is, seemingly uh you know helped offense two point percentage has gone up as foul rate has gone down the past few years so what's odd about this year is that two point percentage is going down with foul rate going down and that has been kind of a, a recipe for for disaster offensively last thing i want to ask you before we let you go um you know i've been paying tim's already hit on this a little bit but i've been paying way more attention to vegas point spreads this year because i've been tasked with picking games against the spread which I'm not doing too great on right now, but uh, I noticed, you know, Vegas spreads are close or identical to your projections. Um, how often have you heard from, from odds makers over the years? And was there a point in time where you could tell, um, you know, they either started using your numbers or like they, they just really lined up um, from, from day to day? Yeah. I, you know, I uh, very rarely would hear from odds makers. Occasionally, you know, they would ask me a question or want me to work for them or something in the early days, but um, you know, there was one like famous case uh, where I realized that people were using my numbers. And this actually was the first year I did preseason ratings uh, for the 2010-2011 season. Um, I had a little bug in the system in the beginning of the season where uh, like after the first game was played, like uh, something screwy happened. I don't know exactly remember what what was going on. But this was back when I was you know still working another job and didn't really tend to the site, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, all day, twenty four seven, and uh, so anyway, Maryland opened the season against Seattle, and Maryland was coached by Gary Williams, and so you know they played up tempo, really up tempo at the time. Um, Seattle was coached by Cameron Dollar; they were playing really up tempo at the time, and so this game was supposed to be really high scoring. And for whatever reason, this bug in my system produced a score that was like you know sixty four to fifty eight or something, which was oh, wow. you just obviously knew that was low. But one of the sports books put that out as their over under, you know, whatever they add that up, you know, 120 was like their over under for that game when it was conceivable, you know, it should have been like 180. And so they put that out and over the course of the day, unbeknownst to me, because I'm at work, you know, doing weather stuff, but unbeknownst to me, like they put out 120 and just over the course of the day that continually like rises as people are just hammering the over, hammering the over. And I think eventually they took it off the board once it got to like 150 and um, the final was 105 to 76. So, uh, they never really did get high enough, but that was the one moment where I was like, wow, I can't believe like, you know, 
a sophisticated sports book here is going to like just use my numbers uh, without even checking, you know, the, the circumstances of the game. So that was, uh, Ken, you got to get a cut of that pie. <laughs> you do. All right. Well, That's maybe you can help me out with that. Coach. I will. I will. Uh, well, I'll get Rocco and Knuckles to go in there and rough them up. Yeah. All right. Well, th thanks for coming on, Ken. We appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks Ken. Great job. All right. Thanks Tim. Well, thanks again for Ken Pomeroy coming on the podcast. Tim, now I want to get to uh, to the last thing we're going to do today. We're going to pick some games. And uh, to, to give listeners a little tutorial on how we're going to do this, we are going to pick against the spread. But because it's Friday and early in the day, you know, usually the spreads for the weekend games are not till later in the day. So we're going to, head, going to go ahead and use Ken's projections for our lines. So we're going to pick six games. And uh, three on Saturday, three are on Sunday. And we're going to kick it off with Arizona at Baylor. Ken has Baylor favored by four points. That game's Saturday afternoon. Tim, who you got? Well, first of all, we already know who you're taking. And second of all, we already know how poorly you've done all year doing this. So uh, not, not to any disrespect now that Ken can't defend himself, but um, I'm taking Arizona to cover. It, it is a little bit big line, a big line for me with with Baylor favored by four. I think Baylor is going to win the game. I'm tempted to take Arizona to cover because because we're gonna I'm gonna keep track of both who we who we pick to win outright and who we pick to cover. Um, but I'm gonna take go ahead. You know my Big Twelve bias. Let's let it shine. Uh, gonna take the Baylor Bears. Love their backcourt. Um, really been impressed with that team. What they were able to do against Villanova. Um, so I think Baylor wins on their home court and covers. Tim, do you are you going for Arizona to win as well? Well, there's going to be 12 people at the game. Okay. <laughs> did, did you see right. they're giving free tickets? Yeah, they're giving away free tickets for crying out loud. What high major program ranked in the Nationals giving away free tickets? Come on, Baylor. Uh, I'm taking Arizona to cover and win. Okay, okay. So next up, Indiana minus one at Wisconsin. So the Hoosiers favored against our – Producer Michaels, Wisconsin, who you got? I, we already here have heard how uh, your distaste for the Badgers. And please, Wisconsin fans, um, it's at Coach Miles on Twitter is where you can find him. First of all, I don't have, I don't get any uh, mentions. I've shut them off, so it doesn't matter. Um, all I know is that what I said, if you listened, was I think Ken's computer has an affinity for Wisconsin, which I don't agree with. I never said, I love Greg Gard. I love Wisconsin. It Madison. My daughter wanted to go to Miss Madison, but she got my brains. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a great town. Although Indiana's beaten them and they're going to yeah. cover. Okay. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go against you again. I'm going to say Wisconsin wins at home. And uh, obviously, you know, if Wisconsin wins, I'm picking them against the spread as well. All right. Next up um, is Florida at Butler. I think this is a pretty interesting matchup on, on Saturday. Uh, Ken has Butler favored by six. Who you got, Tim? Uh, they're inflated. Uh, uh, Florida's covering. Florida's winning. Florida. I got the first three road teams are all winning. Covering. All right. Yeah, that, that's that's a little odd, but we'll, we'll go with it. I'm going to go. Um, I do think that that line's a little big. I'm going to say Florida covers and Butler wins. Next, we got Seton Hall minus one at Iowa State. Now we, we're, we're to Sunday games now. Three really, really interesting Sunday games here, I think. Um, so who, who you got in this first one, Timmy? Yeah, these are great Sunday games. Uh, uh, I, I believe Steve Prohm and Iowa State, I think they're going to get Tyrese Halliburton. 
great guard, great kid, leader of that team. I think they're going to beat Seton Hall. I love Tyrese Halliburton. Like, if, if you watch college basketball and you're able to, to sit close at a, at a game, that's one of the guys I want to see up close because you notice how much that kid has talks on the floor. Like, as a freshman last year, his voice was always heard. Love, love his spirit. He, he's a fun guy to watch. But – you know, I, I have Seton Hall as one of my uh, five picks from the first episode. I'm going to pick the Pirates to, to I cover, obviously, you, and win. I just think you Go love ahead. disappointment. <laughs> Hilton Magic, it's hard, it's hard to bet against it, but I think uh, Seton Hall wins. All right, next up. Now, this this is maybe my, my favorite game of the weekend, one I, I want to check out. Um, Dayton, who we all saw, and Maui, how awesome they were there. Um, against St. Mary's, who's a really, really, really good program. Got a nice team this year. Um, Jordan Ford is an awesome point guard out there. Um, Dayton is favored by two. Who you got, Tim? At the game is at St. Mary's. Yeah, I'm taking St. Mary's. I'm all yeah. I I, I saw them play against uh, Utah State. My good friend Craig Smith there. Very, very impressed. Playmaking guard. Uh, I, I think St. Mary's. Although Dayton's hard to bet against. Uh, they have tremendous talent. Uh, I just think that what goes up must come down, and Dayton's been riding a high, uh, and I think St. Mary's at home is just too tough to beat. I'm taking them to cover and win. Your your logic makes a lot of sense, probably why I suck at this, but um, I'm going with – how can you bet against Obi? That's that's what I'm going. I'm, I'm going Dayton to uh, to cover and win. All right, so last up, let's see if we, we line up one time. I, I don't think we have yet. Um, North Carolina at Virginia, minus six games on Sunday. Um, Virginia's favorite by six. Who you got, Timmy? Yeah, and, and this is obviously a bounce-back game for both teams. And I've got no good answer. Uh, but with North Carolina down a man, uh, mm -hmm. I think Virginia covers. I think they actually throw in some shots, and they win 44-35. to 35. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think this is the hardest of the six to pick. Um, just because, I mean, it's, it's hard to get a, uh, you know, Virginia, you thought you maybe get a feel for them and then they go to Purdue and, and, uh, get blitz, but, um, credit Purdue play great. Let's credit to Ken site. Like Purdue is five and three. Some people might be questioning them because of the record. Uh, I did, you know, they I proved, did. they proved they're obviously a pretty darn good team and they're, they're five right now at, at Kimpon, which is obviously preseason inflated. But also, you know, you see that, hey, that's a really good team that can beat a Virginia. And um, so to, to, to give Kim some props there, I, I bet if you uh, if you go and look at it, he probably had Purdue favored in that one. So anyway, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to actually stick with you here, Tim, for, for once. We're both picking Virginia. I got Virginia to cover and um, and to win as well outright. So um Good, good picks. We'll, uh, I'm going to put these all in a spreadsheet. We will keep a tally as the season goes on. Uh, Ken had Purdue 50 to 48 with a 55% chance to make that happen. They won 69 to 40. That's a, uh, that, that shows you what that, what the site is, how good it is projecting games sometimes. So want to remind listeners before we go to please rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast we're available on the athletic app if you're on spotify or itunes right you just kind of scroll down and there should be a place to review or comment is that true 
that's that's how it works just just scroll down a little bit and uh hit the hit the five stars and then you can click in to, to live, leave a review and um another reminder you, you can follow me on twitter at cj Moore hoops sam what, what's what's your handle again i know you don't get mentions but uh so people know where to find you if if for some reason they haven't discovered tim miles yet i'm at coach miles all right at coach miles so appreciate you guys listening in tim it's been fun we'll be back on tuesday with another episode of miles more madness thanks for listening